think everybody knows now that Professor Tai is the person who started the whole concept of occupying Central Business District of Hong Kong as a kind of civil disobedient protest against the communist government election procedures. Is that a good description? I'll, I'll talk about that. <laughs> 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 yeah, professor at Hong Kong University, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe you do not need to have the right all because I think I want to see your papers. That is okay that the, the, the uh, you can see all the words there. It's okay. okay. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you for giving this opportunity to uh, talk about the future of, uh, that is the topic I want to I've just attended to the last part of your class. Uh, a lot of concepts, a lot of things seem to be very much related to that. Um, and what, what actually will be the future of Hong Kong democracy? And as uh, you have also men all mentioned about the Occupy Central Movement and how that will have impact on the uh, development of democracy in Hong Kong. But uh, to know the future, I think it's important that we know the past and the present, just to understand a little bit more about the past and the present. And now, let me be just this part very short about the past. Um, uh, the Hong Kong Democratic Movement, uh, I think if you count that uh, from the mid-80s, would be around 30 years. And uh, that was the time when I was a student leader as a student, as a law student in the law school of the University of Hong Kong, that I joined the student movement and also the uh, democratic movement. Um, at that time, we were fighting for the uh, introducing of uh, introduction of election in our Lesser Council uh, and in 1988. So I uh, organized the public procession in 1987 to uh, fight for the uh, introduction of uh, election in 1988. Um, so you may say that everything started around in the mid-80s when we have the Sino-British Joint Declaration and the starting of the drafting of basic law. At the time I was the, uh, uh, the leader of the students uh, elected by the university students to represent the university students in the drafting of basic law. Uh, we have a, a consultative committee of the basic law. I represent the students in that committee to give our views on what we want for the system of Hong Kong, including the legal system. So that's the kind of involvement I have uh, since the since uh, the mid eighties. So you were the you were the only student representative. Three students. I'm one of the three students. Three students. Three students. Um, um, so, uh, but the uh, uh, the others are uh, one of them. Uh, one of them joined my movement, mm -hmm. and the others in the government. How were you selected? Uh, directly elected. By your students? By students, Former, yeah. Your fellow students? Yeah, by fellow students. Um, now, um, revealing, just a quick review of the 30 years of uh, democratic development in Hong Kong, that there might be some changes or advancement. As I mentioned, in 1988, we want to have the, uh, In 1985, we, have, uh, we had the uh, introduction of indirect election. And, and, and there's a functional constituency election. You have the lawyers and doctors, uh, the business people electing their representatives into the Lesser Council. In the past, all members of our Lesser Council, the Lesser Church, 
were appointed by the governor. But it's called LEGCO for short, yeah. the Legislative Council, yeah, right. which was established by Britain. Yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the standard colonial structure. You have the governor, and then you have the uh, Lesser Council, the LEGCO. And the, uh, in 1985, we had the uh, election, but indirect election. In 1988, you want to have uh, direct election, meaning that citizens can elect certain members of Lesser Council, but uh, stopped by Beijing, and only in 1991 we could have that. So in the past uh, um, um, 30 years, there were changes in the system. You may say even from, uh, to a democratic direction. But all these changes were top down. That is from our uh, colonial masters, British government and then the Chinese government, you may say also our colonial master, and serving their own needs. Can I just interrupt? Sorry for this, but mm -hmm. some students don't even know why Britain, when Britain started oh. to be there and what the Okay, just the, okay, the, okay. Hong Kong uh, was a British colony uh, for 150 years around, in, uh, starting in 1840, 1841. And so the British government set up the typical colonial structure with a, uh, a governor sent from London and then also civil servants in to work the government. But uh, after the Second World War, uh, the British government also introduced some kind of decolonization in Hong Kong, some kind of localization, allowing local <coughs> Hong Kong people to join the government and also co-opting some uh, local uh, people to uh, be in the in the in the as a, in some different committees of the government, so this is a way co-opting, absorbing the uh, local community leaders into the uh, uh, governance of Hong Kong. And uh, in 1997, uh, that will be the end of the British uh, rule of Hong Kong because the lease with with uh, China, uh, uh, sorry, the China lease with, uh, with uh, the British government would 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 have ended. So. Uh, they have to negotiate on the future of Hong Kong. So in 19, 1985, the Joint Declaration was signed, and then China started to prepare for the uh, uh, of, of the, the resumption of sovereignty over Hong Kong, starting the draft of the Basic Law, that's our constitution. And I was in that committee uh, uh, in the uh, drafting of Hong Kong's Basic Law. So I just want to mention about all these changes we have in the past 30 years were kind of top-down changes from our colonial masters, um, serving the masters' wishes and concern. And but I think the the lack of um, major progress in democratic development in Hong Kong may also you may also I may also blame also the no strong desire for democracy in Hong Kong people, the very pragmatic uh, idea kind of uh, uh, um, culture and also opportunities uh, kind of culture of Hong Kong people that uh, democracy is something not really, at that time, the cup of tea that the worldwide democracy, making money is more important than any other thing. And before the umbrella movement in 2014, maybe everyone's impression about Hong Kong people would still be, uh, Hong Kong people are just a group of people who just want to make money, and that's that. And, and that might be, to a certain extent, some truth there, that the kind of very pragmatic uh, idea and kind of opportunities idea of Hong Kong people. And I was in, in the in the whole period I know that uh, the, the when we organize this kind of a democratic uh, movement or actions, how many people participate. That's so 
few participating, and even among the uh, intellectuals, the middle class, you still a very limited participation. So I would say it's, uh, we are also to be blamed for not having major progress in the past 30 years. Uh, but but after, after the transfer of sovereignty, after six years of poor governance of, our, of the new uh, government, after the, uh, the special administrative region under the uh, leadership of Tung Chi Hua, that uh, in 2003, there was a major uh, public protest uh, demonstrating um, many different reasons. One of that was against the poor governance of Tung Chi Hua, but also against uh, the legislation on national security because people worry about the law being used to limit their freedoms. Now, Hong Kong people uh, enjoy uh, a lot of freedom. Though they may not have democracy, but they have a lot of freedom. They may not want democracy, but they care very much about their freedom. So, therefore, when the, the government tried to legislate this uh, uh, national security law, that the people react rigorously. And so we have that half a million people march in the street uh, against the, uh, the legislation. So, Dong Chi Hua, uh, a year later, resigned from, uh, from uh, his, uh, uh, to the chief executive. And so, that, that, that's a, a, after 2003, we could see some growing concern about democracy in Hong Kong. People starting to see that if you want, it's not just about economic development or freedoms. And even if you just care about your own freedom, you have also need to care about the, the democracy. Because without a democratic elected uh, government, and your, the, the freedoms we treasure so much may also be taken away. So, so that's, that's a growing concern in 2000 and, uh, since 2003. So that's a kind of background that, uh, of, uh, of the Occupy Central movement that I started. Um, in 2000... So, yes. so Tung Chi Hua was pretty much appointed by China to be the governor? Is that right? Well, um, we have the kind of election. The election... Um, um, we have now, as, uh, up to this point, um, a, a 800 members election committee at the time of Hong Chi Huang. Siwai Leung, the president chief executive, was elected by a 1,200 members. So even though there's a number increase, but the nature uh, are the same, that the, this um, election committee, all the members were elected from a very narrow electoral base, from different sectors and uh, basically form the kind of functional constituencies. So you have the lawyers uh, electing some people into the, into the election committee, you have the doctors, you have the business people electing. So a very narrow electoral base. Most people uh, of Hong Kong, they, they are excluded from the election. So you can say election, but you can say also in effect, it's a kind of appointment by, by Beijing. That only a, a person that Beijing would trust would have any chance to run uh, and also be elected. So that's the, the kind of system we have now. And that's also the reason why we have to fight for the uh, universal suffrage in Hong Kong. Now, Beijing in 2007 promised that there will be universal suffrage in 2017. Uh, for the election of the chief executive. Um, but what do you mean by universal suffrage? Now that is the biggest issue. 
Now, if you can read Chinese, and uh, some of you may read, can read Chinese, if you look at the Chinese version of the, of the basic law, um, the exact wording is called Wuxian. And in, if translated into uh, English, it's universal suffrage. Okay? But actually, I have a chance to talk with uh, some uh, uh, Chinese law experts in Be Beida, uh, Beijing University. And um, they kind of uh, advise us to the Chinese government. And uh, they, they talk about this, this uh, wuxian. Uh, this word, this, uh, the Chinese character of this wu can mean just have the same meaning as common. So it can be a kind of an election. It's just like I'm a constitutional law lawyer. So words can be played with. It How to define the matter. It could be widespread. Yeah, it can be widespread, but it can be just... Actually, the, 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 Chinese, uh, the, the Chinese expert just say that it, it's just a kind of election called pu, and that's it. Mm. What is it, pu? <laughs> it can be anything. It's just an empty word. So what actually is universal suffrage? The basic laws say that there's universal suffrage, but what is that? And, and that's the, the, the thing we know from the very beginning. When the draft, basic law was being drafted, uh, as I was involved in the process, I kind of understand it, that the baseline of Beijing, of having Hong Kong people to have universal suffrage, would be allowing Hong Kong people to have the right to vote, and just the right to vote, but not the right to choose. Okay? That means that you, they would just give you several candidates, and you can choose from the three candidates they're giving to you. Um, I call it the, Chinese, the election of Chinese characteristics. <laughs> or the universal suffrage of Chinese characteristics that you're given the candidates. You have a choice. You seem to have a choice. But do you really have a choice? So that will be the kind of universal suffrage that China will allow Hong Kong to have. That's the baseline. That's the understanding we have in 2003, uh, 13. Because that actually was the, was the original, whole original idea of putting the, word, the term universal suffrage in the basic law. So, in, 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 in order to get real or genuine universal suffrage in 2017, Beijing's baseline must be moved. But how could that move? How could it be moved? What has to be moved? The baseline. The baseline of Beijing. That is allowing the Chinese characteristics. If you want to have genuine one, it cannot be the Chinese characteristics. So the baseline has to be moved. But how to move that baseline? That is our question at that time. And we have organized many uh, uh, protests, 2003, all the protests. They, they were all legally organized. I mean that they follow the, the legal rules, and we apply for, for, for permission from the police, and we have the people of the procession demonstration. But my judgment at, in, in, 2000, in early 2013 that that would not be sufficient for changing the, uh, or moving Beijing's baseline. We have to do something non-traditional, that we have to do something new. And uh, so that's, that's the Occupy Central Movement, the civil disobedience. So I claim the civil disobedience movement. And I use the concept of a Yale law professor, Bruce Aiken, that he has a concept called constitutional movement. We have come to uh, a constitutional movement that through organizing social action, joint actions of the people together, we can shape and change the meaning of the law 
uh, uh, the formal meaning given to the law by the uh, institution. So that's the concept of constitutional moment. So in 2013, we may have reached that constitutional moment. So uh, that's the idea that organizing a so civil disobedience movement. And our movement is called Occupy Central with Love and Peace. And um, that's the, the idea of love and peace is to, uh, because Occupy Central seems too confrontational. So if we added a love and peace, kind of uh, balance that, and to make it easier to be uh, accepted by the general public of Hong Kong. And the civil disobedience idea is something quite uh, alien to Hong Kong's uh, legal culture, that um, Hong Kong people inheriting the kind of traditional Chinese understanding about law is mainly about order. So when you talk about civil disobedience, it's quite <coughs> kind of uh, alien to the uh, Hong Kong people at that point of time. And I could have evidence to prove that. My article was published on the uh, 16th of January, 2013, advocating this civil disobedience. On 1st of January, 2013, just two weeks before that, um, actually someone had already tried to occupy Central. Uh, a very famous uh, social activist in Hong Kong, also a legislator, Long Hair, nicknamed Long Hair, Long uh, Ho. He, uh, together with around 100 something people, tried to occupy Central. But when the police came, all the other people left except Long Hair stayed in the street and he was arrested. So that's the kind of. They, they tried to practice civil disobedience, but only one person in the group managed to stay and. And, and continue that action. All the others, yeah, well, civil disobedience may not be a good thing to do. So this idea of civil disobedience was not kind of a, a, in the mainstream, even among the Democrats. So when we put forward this idea, we have to consider how to get the support. Because you, number matters very much in civil disobedience. If you have a lot of people joining, that means much more than just a few. So we have to attract a, a, a big number. And, and my suggestion is that at least uh, 10,000 people. With the 10,000 people uh, occupying Central District in Hong Kong, it would be difficult for the police to remove us unless the police use uh, tear gas. And the police, at the end, you know, they use the tear gas. And the, the reason of use, they, they, they uh, forcing the police to use tear gas is also in line with the whole objective of civil disobedience. Civil disobedience is to, not to change the system directly through the action, but to create a drama, to attract public attention, well attention, so that people, more people will join in the, in, in the course of action in the future. So in the long run, we'll be able to bring change in the system. So that is the idea of civil disobedience. And we want to have universal suffering, but we have to make clear that it is not the Chinese characteristics. So we have to have a universal suffrage in accordance with international standards. So in 2014, uh, March, the law school of uh, HKU organized an international conference inviting uh, uh, experts in election law, uh, human rights law, and constitutional law to Hong Kong to, uh, to, to kind of uh, discuss and come up with uh, some guiding <coughs> principles of what do we mean by uh, uh, universal suffrage in accordance with international standard, and um, the put in a very simple way, that's a you must have genuine choices. That this is not a particular form of election we we, uh, we do have, but just that no matter what form of election, 
candidates uh, of electors must have genuine choices. That is the whole idea of international standard. And at that time, we faced the biggest challenge is about uh, how to unite all the different democratic forces in Hong Kong. Um, this time round uh, is the third round of consular reform. In 2010, there was another round of consular reform introducing some change to the election of the Lesser Council. But uh, after the last round of constitutional reform, the democratic camp in Hong Kong, that's the democratic forces in Hong Kong, uh, were divided. And so when we have to organize this, uh, this the, the movement this time, the, a very important thing that we need to unite everyone. But it's very difficult to unite uh, the different uh, groups, political parties and groups. And therefore, that is the reason that I, uh, I introduced the idea of the liberation. And that's the inspired again by Professor Bruce Ackerman, who spoke on the Liberation Day. Um, that's uh, by organizing deliberations uh, among all the supporters of the movement. So we try to overcome the, the conflict between the leaders of the movement by skipping the leaders. We do not need the leaders. We have everyone in the movement supporting the, 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 the uh, democracy in Hong Kong to join together. We have uh, uh, a series of meetings where everyone brings to small groups, discuss, and then come up with our own proposals uh, and we put forward to the government. So that's an, an, an aspect that mm -hmm. I've introduced to the, to the democratic movement, trying to deal with that problem of uh, internal conflict of the democratic Why movement. Why were they in conflict? What about... Oh, that's uh, about the goal and about the pace, about the strategy, all the. Okay, so basically, we can say there's a moderate wing of the democratic camp and the uh, radical wing of the democratic camp. The radical wing insists that there must be civil nomination, and, and that means that the citizens can directly nominate candidates. That's a civil nomination, a particular method. The moderate. Uh, just ask for genuine choices, no matter what form. If that, that can be genuine choices, that would be okay, even without civil nomination. The pace, surely, they want it faster, they can allow, uh, accept a slower pace. Strategy, more confrontational, maybe even using violence, maybe not violence and, and, and non-confrontational, if it can be avoided. Confrontation can be avoided, try to avoid it. That's the, the two major uh, uh, camps, with, uh, wings within the democratic camp. And now also the purpose of this uh, movement, civil disobedience, is about uh, social awakening, that we want to change the political culture of Hong Kong people. That I mentioned that beginning that not many people knows about or understand or support civil disobedience. So we need to do things to change the the way Hong Kong people see civil disobedience and even to see democracy. I mentioned about Hong Kong people are very opportunistic. Um, now, if you ask Hong Kong people, uh, do you want democracy? Many of them will say, yes, I want democracy. But if you ask them, do you, are you willing to pay a price for that? No, not many people will say that they're willing to do that. Actually, the, in the 20-month period, I, I organized this movement. Uh, in the street, I've been uh, greeted by people saying, oh, Professor Tai, I support you in your movement. <laughs> Actually, I, when, when, some, when I face people saying it this way, I just have some worry that, uh, or sometimes thinking that uh, 
are you saying that you want me to do it, or are you want, are you saying you also will be going to do it? And most likely that they're just wanting me to do it. <laughs> so this this is the thing we have to do is to change the political culture. So civil disobedience action is also to achieve this social awakening uh, or this process of social awakening. And um, and we have also organized a civil referendum in June 2014, a, an unofficial referendum uh, through an electronic platform. That's also a way for us to engage more people. Even if we have organized, even if we have organized uh, all these deliberative meetings, but they could only be attended by a limited number of people. So how can we get uh, more support from the community as a kind of bargaining power with Beijing? That this is the way we, 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 we do it, that we, allow, we set up this electronic platform, allowing uh, everyone to uh, vote through the mobile phone and it is so powerful that uh, we have at the end 800,000 people voted in the civil referendum and, and supporting a particular proposal to be the proposal before the Beijing. Um, now, everything's run along this line that we have the civil referendum and hoping that this will generate sufficient political pressure on Beijing to negotiate. But then, uh, as, as, as you may know, then uh, the decision of the standing committee on the uh, 31st August, setting a very strict framework on the uh, election method, and therefore uh, we have we we have to organize a civil disobedience action. The Occupy Central movement at the very beginning, you may say that we do not want to occupy. Actually, we occupy so that we do not need to occupy. It's quite paradoxical that we want to organize a an Occupy movement so that we at the end do not need to occupy because we want to put a kind of a threat to Beijing that now if you uh, uh, do not make any concession, we are going to occupy. Um, but they refuse to make any concession, so we have to organize the actual occupation. Students start a class boycott, unexpected jump in the civic square by the students, and then that's the early start of the Occupy Central on 28th of September. But I think the whole thing uh, changed because of TPS. That is something totally unexpected by everyone. Even though I mentioned that uh, uh, when we organized that 10,000, I mentioned about the 10,000 people, uh, we just hope that the, the, this will be sufficient pressure that uh, the government will make concession, knowing that they would, uh, hoping that they would not want to fire the tear gas. But at the end, they fired the tear gas. And that changed the whole thing. We have that uh, occupation of three different areas, Mong Kok, Causeway Bay, and, and Admiralty. And um, actually, the three places represent three different characters of Hong Kong Democrats. The people in Mong Kok, or the people in Admiralty, and people in Causeway Bay, they're quite different. I, I don't think I have the time to, to elaborate the differences. But Can you just say really briefly? OK, the, the Mong Kok is more. Um, Lower class kind of uh, uh, participation, uh, more rough. Okay, the uh, the Admiralty, that's the main area, will be uh, more middle class, uh, intellectual, very clean, very tidy. Okay, Causeway Bay is just a place no one cares. <laughs> but still, they, they some people still think that I this belong to us, and so they still stay there. And even the new the, the, the TV never reported so much about what happened in the Causeway Bay. The numbers more, 
but they have a kind of a small group of people just insisting that they have to be there. So that's the kind of, uh, a, a, it may be a study we can conduct in, in comparing the three areas, <laughs> three kinds of Democrats. So. Um, the, when, when the tear gas uh, 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 was fired, that the Umberto movement replaced the Occupy Central movement. The, the most of, what's the difference between the Umbrella Movement and the Occupy Central Movement? The Occupy Central Movement is a very organized movement. So we have a secretariat, we have uh, paid staff, we have organized meetings after meetings, maybe too many meetings, we have the civil referendum, electronic platform, very organized and structured the way of doing <coughs> things. And is to try to generate as much political pressure as possible to force Beijing to negotiate. So, but the umbrella movement is totally different. It's just, uh, there's no central leadership. Everyone could be a leader. So that's the, and, and the, as I mentioned, the, the birth of the umbrella generation. They are also more assertive, resilient, flexible, politic, and innovative. And I must admit that compared with the uh, umbrella generation, the younger, younger people uh, that, uh, we are really, really conservative in our planning and doing things. And they are much more energetic. And, um, but there's also strength and weakness in both. That um, having this umbrella movement with no central leadership, it will be very difficult to suppress this movement. Even if you arrest all the leaders, the movement will still continue. But the, the other side is that it's very difficult to, um, to coordinate, to, to lead. Um, Actually, before the uh, occupation, before the occupation in September, some of the radical groups in Hong Kong uh, talked to me that they want me to play a, a, a another kind of leadership. Because in the past twenty-seven months, I played a leadership a leadership role is not not leading in that sense. I I, I was just facilitating, coordinating meetings and groups and and, and, and actions together. And, and just, you, you, they, they want me to be Moses. They want me to, to raise the staff and lead everyone. And, but I said, well, Hong Kong's democ democratic movement does not need a Moses. And no one can be that Moses, even if you want, that, want to have a Moses. No one can be that Moses. And so I refused. And, but I, I'm, at the time of occupation, I just uh, think that if we could have Moses, that may be good, that because we can end and end the things uh, easier. But, at the end, I think it's just that we cannot have, we cannot go back. It's just no way that we can have the uh, uh, central leadership as uh, as during the Occupy Central Movement after the tear gas. Because if if uh, all the things happen in accordance with our plan, there will be occupation on the first of October, the National Day, and if the people came because of uh, based on our call, then we can surely in a way, direct everyone's action. But the TF, now the Occupy movement, that's the umbrella movement, people came not because of the Occupy Central movement. They came because of TGS. So why have to follow your, your direction or order? So that changed the whole, whole thing about the uh, democratic uh, movement in Hong Kong. I think that's something we have to continue to, to look at. Now, just quickly uh, about the, what happened uh, during the occupation. Um, 
like very likely that this is a decision of uh, the senior, maybe the most senior member of the Chinese government, Xi Jinping, that uh, no blood, no concession. So after the final tear gas, there, uh, that's uh, of the police. I have uh, planned to to fire bullet as the uh, to the to the crowd, but in the end they stopped all these things and and the police retreat from the occupied areas and. Uh, that may be a decision of Beijing that no bloodshed. I think the night, uh, 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 June 4th thing very much in the mind of the Chinese leaders. They do not want June 4th to happen in Hong Kong. Um, but the first two weeks, uh, a lot of things have happened. The triad numbers came and trying to generate fear. And, um, and But the, then the strategy changed into a kind of waiting game, drag, a lot of things to drag on. And... Uh, and, and, and also using the court injunction orders issue. Um, they may not all know who mm. the triads are. Okay, the mafia. That's kind of uh, <laughs> <laughs> the mafia. But yeah. then who sent those? Okay, that's, I know have no hard evidence on okay. that. And it's just I, what I know is that um, now the, 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 the uh, triads uh, came to the uh, Mong Kok area. And the, the, the triads, the, the different tribe groups in Hong Kong, and all they have, they all have their own jurisdiction. So the, as I was told, the Hmong Kok triads refused to attack the students, and so the um, someone I don't know who, but uh, asked the uh, triads of New Churches, that is further part of Hong Kong, to came to Hmong uh, Kok to attack the students. Um, who paid them? I don't know. I. Who benefit from that? Maybe the one who, who, who pay them. Mm -hmm. So I can I will not make any statement on who who who, who ordered that because that may be a defamation. Okay? You just don't know. <laughs> I know who, but I will not mention that. But you can guess who. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also the uh, the use of the, the government tried to use different ways to deal with the situation. So waiting game allow the whole thing to drag on. Allow us to consume ourselves. Um, also, the occupation uh, getting uh, longer and longer. The, 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 the people start getting more and more impatient about the occupation and the some people, taxi general public, the general public. People. Yeah. The um, the taxi drivers uh, applied to the court for injunction order to, uh, uh, re, uh, to uh, for the people to the occupiers to leave. And also, that we find there's a tendency among the occupiers of the use of violence. Now, I've mentioned that throughout this period, that um, I think the majority of the occupiers and all the supporters of the Occupy movement, uh, they are able, they were able to uh, maintain this non-violent spirit. But getting more and more impatient as nothing can be uh, achieved through the occupation. Some of the occupiers, or the, or the, uh, or the, some of the radical groups, they are kind of have a tendency to work violent. So therefore, we have to find ways to end the, end the occupation. I mean, the we, the the Occupy Central movement. So the umbrella movement, once started, included even though there's no central leadership, but there were still many uh, major groups working together. The students, uh, the <coughs> students, the high school students. Joseph Wong and the umbrella, uh, the, the, the Occupy Central with Love and Peace, the original movement, the uh, 
pan-democratic camp, uh, uh, political parties, and also some of the civil society groups. So we have this platform of discussing on how to uh, continue the uh, uh, deal with the situation. Um, but just that everyone could not agree with, any, with anything at that point of time, so we have decided that uh, we need to do something to end the occupation. The students did not want to end the occupation. They want to wait until uh, stay there till the last minute to be arrested by the police. But I think it's too long, the occupation. So we surrender ourselves to the police, and at the end, the, uh, let's say, peaceful clearance. Um, now, we are now, after the end of occupation in December 2014, um, the government uh, started the second round of the consultation, and just the government have just released the uh, 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 proposal, following strictly the, uh, the uh, decision of the Standing Committee on the 31st August. Very conservative, nothing so, uh, uh, surprising. And um, so now we are, the government now is, is launching a, a, a territory-wide uh, kind of propaganda on uh, asking people of Hong Kong to pocket first. That means that to accept this uh, imperfect proposal. I agree that it's not perfect, but accept it first, pocket first. That's so put it in your pocket first. Our change may happen later. But uh, likely that the um, the proposal will be vetoed by Elizabeth Council uh, because the pandemic refused to uh, accept such a proposal. When, um, what is the the government proposal mm. has been vetoed by? The um, will be. Is this just is a can, is this the coming two months will be the critical uh, time oh. because the oh, government right, right. put forward a proposal just a few weeks ago. And the proposal will be debated in the Legislative Council in June and will be decided in July. And so now the government, what the government wants to do is to uh, generate as much support of the government proposal. That's a proposal of Chinese, election of Chinese characteristics. Um, so that um, the pandemic may be under political pressure to make concession, to accept it, hoping that it will be passed by the Legislative Council. It needs a two-third majority in this council to be passed. The pandemic control a little bit more than one-third of the seats of lesser council. Now, if they manage to get four members from the pan-democratic camp to change side, then the proposal will be passed. So now they are kind of uh, launching this propaganda in the, in the territory, trying to get as many people to support the government proposal. If they can get an overwhelming support, Hong Kong people, pragmatic, opportunistic, maybe they are, they are going to support this government proposal, even just Chinese characteristics. If we can have uh, 60 or 70% of the Hong Kong population supporting, now the pandemic may be under pressure because they have to worry about the election in the future. But So that is the kind of uh, uh, thing happening. Now, who is pushing? Who exactly is is creating the positive opinion in Hong Kong now? Who's trying to create positive opinion for the government? Yeah. the government. The government and the pro, pro Beijing uh, groups and all that. Okay, but then when the proposal goes to the Legislative Council, it must get two thirds majority support. Mm. But you're hoping that some members of the pan. Democrats in the Legislative Council 
will vote against it. And now, yeah, the pandemic uh, legislators, 27 of the of the pan, uh, of, of, of the pandemic uh, legislators, they have repeatedly signed statements that they will veto such kind of proposal. Mm -hmm. And so I don't see any chance that uh, the uh, we have four pandemic legislators who change side because they have signed this at least three times the statement public statements that they they will uh, veto such a proposal. Now, unless, unless in the coming month, Beijing come to offer something, some kind of concession, now then the moderate wing of the, of, of, of the democratic camp may, 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 may uh, uh, agree with the, with, the, uh, with the government proposal so amended by the concession made by Beijing. But whether there will be such a concession from Beijing, and uh, whether that concession is uh, good enough for the for the modern wing of the pan democratic camp to to change their position, and also uh, how the radical wing will respond to that, will all the things will happen may, may may happen will affect the situation in the coming two months. So the coming two months, the final two months of the whole constitutional reform process will be actually very critical. And uh, we have to wait and see what happens. Um, how much time do I have? Well, people might have some yeah, questions. Yeah, because I think, uh, because the, the, the part is about future, I, I, I think yeah. we don't have the time to talk about the future, even though the title is future. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just quickly, and I mean, then I receive questions. I think it's better to be that way. Uh, what has been achieved? Um, whether we can change the system, we don't know. We have to wait and see the coming two months. But surely, if you take the uh, uh, social awakening or the cultural change, we have achieved a lot. That's a, I call it generation awakening. That's a whole generation of Hong Kong young people that awakening. That they see the importance of democracy and they're willing to sacrifice and also civil disobedience. Is now a mainstream thinking. And if you ask some high school students in Hong Kong what is civil disobedience, they can give you quite a good uh, answer because uh, they they expect that there will be an exam in the in the uh, university entrance exam because that's a course in a compulsory <laughs> course for all high school students for liberal studies. And uh, this is a kind of asking things about what happened in Hong Kong. So they have to study about that. They have to prepare for a possible question on civil disobedience. <laughs> so they know very well about what is civil disobedience. Brian, I think the things we talk about, they know. <laughs> and, and so that's this uh, kind of generational awakening and cultural change. Then I think we have achieved quite a lot. Um, I don't have time to talk about the future, but the future will be more about the... Um, we have to wait after the, the coming two months. What happened in the coming two months? Then we will have to see what, what may be the uh, future direction of the uh, democratic movement. So maybe I'll just uh, stop here and have uh, questions. Can I ask a, uh, a, a, a mechanical question first? Then when I get my second chance, I'll ask more substantive questions. So what will happen if uh, the the proposal is vetoed by the legislation. Mm. What what will be happening? We're going back to the mm. appointment. Yeah, and well, that that means in mm. fact it's a step backward, right? No. Now you can say it's no 
no change on it. Because that will be a 2000, we will use the election method of 2012 again. That will be a 1,200 election committee with an electoral base of only 300,000 Hong Kong people. Now, from the, for the, from the perspective of, uh, of a democratic movement, this, is, uh, this will be uh, good to the democratic movement to have no change. Because then the government will still be illegitimate because it's not democratic elected. So the, it will lack the legitimacy. And we can continue to unite all the different democratic forces to continue to uh, do this uh, social awakening in the community, to get a more support. Now, we have, uh, from uh, uh, the, the, the umbrella movement, we can see that a lot of people have participated. But still, mm, even maybe a significant minority is not yet the majority. So if we have a com a still an enemy there, it's a legitimate government, we can continue to organize our action. But if we accept pocket first, and I call it a, a fake legitimacy, you have a person, the chief executive, uh, so elected, can claim that he has a legitimacy because he, he will be elected by one person, one vote. But that was not a real one person one vote because there's no real choice for the for, for electors. So but that 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 kind of fake legitimacy may be more damaging because this elected chief executive can then use this fake legitimacy to to enact the national security law to limit the freedoms of Hong Kong people. So that's something why uh, uh, from a unless we can have a system that can guarantee genuine Choices. If not, we will not accept such a uh, uh, proposal. So that's a we have different opinions in Hong Kong. That some people say that well, getting one person one vote is at least an advancement. Why not you pocket first? Wait for the changes in the future. I I just say a, a kind of a metaphor. Um, if you have a car, okay, a motor car, you have all the wheels, but without the engine, can you call that a motor car? So you have the views, that means that you have the one person, one vote. But without the real choice, this is without an engine. So yes, have four views is better than having no. So I don't think that's a, a real car. Without the engine, it's not a real car. Okay. Um, Mr. Todd, do you think that mainland Chinese are an important audience for the movement? And in, in what way? Um, now that's a... a, a, a that's issue we have considered from the beginning of the movement. Um, yes, they are important uh, people that we can get support from. Because China is not really directly governing Hong Kong. But if people in mainland China support the umbrella movement in Hong Kong, that may also generate pressure on Beijing to, to make concessions. But I think it's uh, in, in at the very beginning of the movement, we decided that uh, from a strategic reason, we will not ask for or kind of uh, uh, invite support from mainland people. Uh, because we worry that it may cause a backfire from Beijing. That uh, I think Beijing's concern may not be democracy in Hong Kong, but democracy in China even more. So by separating the two, it is, I think it will be uh, in the interest of the democratic movement of Hong Kong 
Therefore, from the very beginning, we just will not talk about uh, um, um, the relation between Hong Kong and, and, the, and the, the, the democratic movement in Hong Kong and in China. But it is actually, in the, in, 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 and I think it's important to find allies in mainland China. But unfortunately now, the radicals, the radical wing of the democratic camp, um, I think some of you may, may, may read the reports about uh, some Hong Kong, uh, some mainland uh, tourists being uh, uh, attacked by some Hong Kong uh, uh, people. And, and that's actually, they are making enemies rather than uh, uh, kind of bringing in allies. Now, our strategy is not to, just to separate the two, but not making allies does not mean that you have to change them into enemies. But now the situation is that the Hong mainlanders seem to have no interest or support of the democratic movement in Hong Kong because some of the uh, uh, people in Hong Kong in the democratic camp uh, have uh, attacked or, or, or scolded or, or attacked the, uh, some mainlanders and, and visiting about the visit Hong Kong. That would be something I think is unwise. You mean to say that China Chinese people don't have support in Hong Kong. So, so no, not, they are not supporting the movement in Hong Kong. You cannot see a clear sign of uh, support in, in, uh, from mainlanders uh, to the Hong Kong Democratic Movement. Now, assuming the case is like this, when we occupy Central, someone, some, some people in, Taiwan, uh, sorry, in, in Beijing or in Shanghai also occupy some of the areas. Now then, that may generate some pressure on Beijing. But that did not happen. But more, we can see that uh, they, uh, the, the uh, um, people in mainland did not have much sympathy over the democratic movement in Hong Kong. I would take it as a, a, a kind of a, the political culture in mainland China uh, is not yet up to point. Now, there may be some intellectuals, some uh, people have sympathy, but in general, I'm talking about the general public of mainland China, that is still, I always compare the political culture of uh, mainland and Hong Kong. The political culture of mainland is now more, and more, more or less like the political culture of Hong Kong people in the 70s or the 80s of the last century. Money making is the overriding thing. And so when you talk about democracy, well, there's something a bit too remote at this stage. So we will not be able to get a lot of sympathy because they do not treasure that as something important. And, and therefore, up to this point, I do not see a very, uh, a lot of support within mainland on <coughs> Hong Kong's democratic movement. Now, maybe that is good to Hong Kong too, to the Chinese Communist Party. Their worry will be that the Hong Kong's democracy may overspill to mainland. But now, proof that it will not that after 79 days of occupation, nothing happened in mainland China. Mm -hmm. So even allowing Hong Kong to have democracy, would that, would that affect mainland? It seems to be, it may not have a, a short-term impact. In the long term, maybe, but not in the short term. So that may be, uh, I don't know, there's this a, a lot of different considerations and perspectives. I have many, many questions, but let me defer to students. <laughs> Um, I have two questions, actually. You can go first. No, no, I asked one already. Okay. You asked one, why not ask sure. one, and then I asked one. Okay, so my first question is, um, when, you, uh, when you planned the uh, civil disobedience and the Occupy uh, mm. Central, like the whole conception before mm. it came up, 
from uh, out of your mind? Is there like any historical uh, occupation or events makes you to feel like you have such um, like experience or such uh, ability to able to facilitate this kind of huge occupation? And also, uh, is uh, umbrella movement is a result you you've anticipated before uh, it's actually happened? Is this kind of result you already predicted? Well, the umbrella movement uh, was not anticipated. Yeah. That uh, we 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 want the uh, we plan the occupation to be very orderly. That we have ten thousand people there sitting there and waiting to be arrested by the police <coughs> one by one, carried away. It may take two to three days to complete the whole thing, and that could already create a drama. We believe that that could create a drama. But the real thing, the umbrella movement create an even bigger drama. And that may be kind of uh, having a bigger impact than our plan. So we did not anticipate that we will have that kind of uh, uh, thing happen uh, during the, uh, in September and December of 2014. Um, but when, we, when you ask me about the, uh, um, the um, idea of Occupy Central, where I got the inspiration from, um, surely Martin Luther King will be the model that we follow uh, his letter from a Birmingham jail, if you read that carefully, you'll find that a lot of things very similar to uh, what he advocated and, uh, in the letter from a Birmingham jail. Um, actually, some of his arguments uh, in responding to criticisms he faced at that time, I used that to, to respond to the criticism I faced in Hong Kong. Very similar. In the, in the letter, he mentioned uh, some people criticizing that why you have to organized civil disobedience, why not wait for some kind of time? <laughs> and um, well, that does the, the same kind of things that uh, I've been uh, criticized, and so I respond using my <coughs> Another important work I, we rely on uh, is the work of Jin Sha, the civil resistance work of uh, Jin Sha, talking about that uh, civil resistance, how that can change a system. Yeah. That was Jin Sha? Uh, Jin Sha, Jin Sha. And I've mentioned already Bruce Ackerman, and, uh, about the deliberation day, constitutional moment. So it's a kind of combining the work of uh, uh, many different scholars, and but it's a very unique situation of Hong Kong that uh, uh, I will design the whole things in accordance with my understanding about Hong Kong people. My judgment that they are pragmatic and opportunistic. That's a kind of, uh, that's, that's the whole thing I will design it on this basis. So therefore we organize, when we plan about this <coughs> Occupy, central action at the beginning. Uh, why 1st of October? That's, that was a public holiday. And then the 2nd of October was also a public holiday. And there were only one business day, the Friday, 3rd of October, followed by Saturday and Sunday. So that would be kind of generating the minimum impact to the community. But also allowing those who want to join to be easy to join because they do not need to uh, uh, apply for leave for their work because they can stay there for just just apply to have one day off then they can stay for five days. That's quite uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so that's 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 what we plan the thing with. I I, I may be wrong that I am too conservative. I would say, <laughs> but based on my understanding at that point of time, that's the only thing I the, the kind of. In, understand I have at that time but after the tear gas the tear gas changed the whole generation I'm also changed by the tear gas all Hong Kong people are changed by the tear gas 
the tear gas changed the whole thinking of Hong Kong people. And that's also about social movement. When you have a social movement, the social movement itself will shape the, the culture. And that will provide further base, the base for further change. And, and when we plan, we can plan a lot of things. I now learned that you can do a lot of planning. But just don't prepare that your planning will not work. <laughs> and you have to plan for the, for the, for the things will not work also. <laughs> What was the what was the impact of Occupy Move mm. Occupy Movement worldwide? Mm. And then the other thing mm. I, I want to ask is because I'm confused. Mm. Uh, I know you got funding from the National Endowment for Democracy, and the the, the left wing press here is saying that these are all neocons who are supporting uh, democracy in Hong Kong. So, I mean, how did the uh, funding from National Endowment affect the? Uh, well, we do not have any funding from 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 outside. But I know. But before that, in, when you uh, the the democracy training workshops at Hong Kong U, that was that was partly funded by National Endowment, right? No, no, no. None of it was no, funded. No. The uh, now there may be other groups. Oh, okay. They may be receiving some funding outside, but not the Occupy Central movement. We have not received any money outside of Hong Kong. Now we all get the money from Hong Kongers. Now, if the Hong Kongers got the money from outside, we cannot tell. But at least that the Hong Kongers give donating the money to us, they are all from Hong Kong. Now, the Occupy Wall Street thing, I think it's just the term is just uh, the same only. That is a, just a, 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 a expression uh, used uh, of convenience. That and also is a describing the real, the, the actual thing that will happen. We occupy, and that's what occupy. It's central. We are central, and. And so it is, it's a, the goal is different from the Occupy Wall Street. And uh, also we have no connection with the Occupy Wall Street movement. And, and we're just, just a Hong Kong movement. Yeah. Sorry, is there any connection between the Occupy Wall Street that did occur in the HSBC building? No, those, I mean, no. Are, are, are they the same people? I imagine no, they're not. No, totally different. Oh, and really? the, from the beginning, we started a movement. Uh, actually, I've been criticized of uh, plagiarizing them uh, <laughs> and, and not not giving them credit also. <laughs> but actually, we we are we are totally different structure, and they are much. Now we included all the uh, political parties mm. and also major civil society groups. Now some of the civil society groups members they might have participated mm. or know the people occupy the HSBC. That's, that's the Occupy Central 1.0. We are <laughs> Occupy Central 2.0. Okay. And it's a different kind of action. The goal different, the organization, the organization, the structure, totally different. The people, totally different. Let me ask you this as a law professor rather than social movement organizer. Um, so Hong Kong, as you say, is kind of colony still mm. at the moment. And there's a reality of Chinese government's fear of this this sovereignty thing. And then in the true sub, uh, universal sovereignty, uh, mm. will make China to, to worry. Mm. Therefore, they want to have some sort of input, right? Mm. Now, input, according to Hong Kong people and you and many other people, is too much. Mm. This input is too much, making choice too little. Mm. That how much is not too much. Mm. How the government still they can send army anytime, mm -hmm. even if you elect someone, if you don't like, mm -hmm. they just 
and the underground uh, heat here and, and sending troops over yeah. and everything yeah. will be off. Yeah, right. So in your opinion, what will be an acceptable compromise? So for China to have some sort of control, but have some democratic meaning. Well, I think the, the China need to know or now election can you can never guarantee the result. So there must be risk to be taken in any form of election. But there can be many different ways that you can guarantee or ensure a preferable result other than just controlling the nomination process. I think China, I think the, the pro-China groups in Hong Kong, they have learned so much in, in organizing election campaigns. They are very successful in the election of the Lizard Council. And, and so it's, it's a, to take risks is something the Chinese Communist Party need to uh, accept. But the risk actually is not very big in the election in the 2017, even if we have that genuine uh, uh, universal suffrage. Again, that's based on the very pragmatic uh, kind of uh, understanding about Hong Kong people. If you ask them to elect, to, to make a choice in the lesser council, which has no real power, only the power to uh, monitor the government, and under the present structure with the chief executive totally controlling everything, having an opposition in the lesser council to some of the Hong Kong people, they'll say this will be good because that will be kind of balancing the the, the, the uh, chief executive. But if you ask them to choose uh, to elect someone who is going to govern Hong Kong, everyone knows that the person must have a good relationship with China. It's not just possible for that person to, to kind of uh, do his job. So if Hong Kong people is given the chance to have genuine choice, you may have a, a, a candidate from the opposition, the Democratic camp, but the person will not be elected. Actually, to China, I think it's it's everything to gain by having by allowing Hong Kong people to have a genuine choice. A pro-Beijing Beijing person will be elected, and will get the legitimacy. And the democratic camp also will win because we have successfully uh, fight for a system. And but we run, but we we lose. And but they still have a chance in the future. And and that is the kind of system I think will be will be beneficial to every side, even Beijing. Beijing can still control everything, but giving an impression that people are giving choices. Is there, was there really a thought that Beijing would change when he started? Well, I think it, I'm not that naive that uh, we will be able to change uh, Beijing, but we still have to try. We still have to try. And if we cannot, and that is the thing I'm going to talk about the future, the future uh, about Hong Kong's democratic movement, um, and also based on the uh, literature on civil resistance, one key factor for final success is resilience. That we are able to continue the fight, and we have to maintain the spirit and continue. And I think when we when we plan the, the thing at the beginning, knowing that we will, we will not be able to change the system, that's a big chance that we will not be able to change the system this time around. So we have to prepare for a long fight, a long battle. But if we can change the culture, the political culture of one more people, that will provide the base for, for continuing <coughs> struggle. Five years, ten years, we have to prepare for that. And, but 
the things will be very much related with the political reform in China and things in China. And I think the two things cannot be disconnected. What happened in mainland China will affect things in Hong Kong. If China is going to introduce also genuine political reform, then there will be a good chance for Hong Kong to have genuine universal suffrage. But if in the case, if, if Xi Jinping is just uh, wanting to concentrate power just for the sake of concentrating power, then there will be not much hope for Hong Kong. Maybe you have to wait after the, uh, the next generation of leaders, that's maybe eight years from now, ten years from now. And so we have to prepare for that. So that's my future. We're talking about how to structure the democratic movement of Hong Kong so that we can continue our fight under a new environment where you have no central leadership. So the democratic movement has to be organized uh, in a different way than the past. And the Occupy Central Movement will not uh, uh, be able to lead or, or organize the democratic movement in the future. We have to develop something new. And so that, uh, but I don't have time to elaborate too much on that. But maybe out later in the future. After these two months, we, we, we see what's the actual result. Then we can talk more about the future. Some questions, you know, one point and two questions. The first one I'd like to hear yours about the support from mainland. But support I, for what? Mainland. From mainland. From the mainland. Yeah, but I I totally agree that the political culture between mainland and Hong Kong is totally different, but mm -hmm. I don't think the mainland people don't want to support or mm -hmm. don't want to engage in those mm -hmm. movements just because of censorship. Because mm. during the okay. the ultra central, I was in in Beijing, oh, okay. and uh, I cannot. I I think I'm cannot sensitive person, but I cannot touch some information about mm. the ultra central. Mm. All those information that I received from the official yeah, channel, yeah, from the official channel, and the, and the, when I come back to the US, I can mm. Mm -hmm. I can read something about the ultra central, and. Uh, <coughs> Like people in mainland China, they want to participate in some movement like Jasmine Mo, mm. Jasmine movement, and uh, the internet movement, the, mm. the Weibo. Mm. And um, my question is that mm. the basic law is uh, resort elected by the National Congress and the Legislative Council in Hong Kong. So. Is that the mainland people decide uh, Hong Kong based? Yes, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's the, the National People's Congress enacted the basic law. The Legislative Council of Hong Kong has no power to, to uh, 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 decide the content of the basic law. So it's totally decided by, by mainland. Um, but during the drafting period, <coughs> um, there was two rounds of consultation conducted in Hong Kong, collecting Hong Kong people's opinion. But, well, this kind of consultation, you get what you want. And I have a second question. It's about the, how do you think the, uh, the social movement and the, the relationship between social movement and the religion? Because one mm. of you call it is a okay. Christian pastor. Now, um, before I, I, I come to uh, here, I actually, I was invited by uh, use, uh, by Yale Divinity School, <laughs> not the law school, but Divinity School to, to speak there. And one of the issues uh, actually was the role of religion 
of religious groups in the in the democratic movement or in the democratic development. I talk about it in China, but actually the same thing may also apply to Hong Kong, especially the Hong Kong situation. Um, the movement is not a a religious movement or a Christian movement, but we can see a very high percentage of participation of uh, Christians. And um, I am a devoted Christian. And also a lot of uh, Martin Luther King's work, the letter of Birmingham Jail, if you read the letter, you'll find that it's actually something for, for Christian meditation. There's a lot of Christian ideas and beliefs in the letter of Birmingham Jail. Um, I would say the, uh, the, the Hong Kong churches, after the movement, uh, now in the past, Hong Kong has a very, the churches have a very strong evangelical tradition. Politics, something they try to avoid. Um, but during the uh, during the twenty month period preparing for Occupy Central, um, I was invited to many churches to uh, share about the Occupy Central movement. Actually, in one church, the pastor told me that if um, the same kind of a seminar or talks organized uh, uh, a year ago, that might be only three persons attending. The pastor, pastor's wife, and the chairman, <laughs> the chairman of the deacons. But hundreds of them. So the, 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 the movement itself also caused a lot of Christians to consider about the role of religious faith and, 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 and the uh, uh, political development. Um, actually, this is my area. Uh, I, I'm also, I would say, a kind of a self-trained theologian. And actually, I'm working also on the uh, public theology. That is how the uh, how 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 we see it from a theological perspective about civil disobedience, about about uh, 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 political development and democratic development. So um, the churches in Hong Kong, I think, uh, they they also like the Hong society. The Hong churches are divided, and some a very senior. Uh, uh, a member of the Anglican Church just uh, talked to me that, uh, during that period that uh, he said Benny you have a lot of things to blame that if you are not so high profile that you are a Christian we will not face so many problems because uh, ma many people in the church ask the pastors that should we occupy as a Christian and, and because you, you claim yourself to be a Christian that brings all the problems to us in the past, we can avoid all this talk about politics, but now no way we can avoid the question. So you must be blamed for that. So I think the, the, the um, religious... Now, I'll just talk about the Christians and the Catholic. Um, the Buddhists, the Taoists, and the, uh, they, they're kind of more pro-establishment kind of uh, groups. And so they will not have that problem. But mainly uh, among the Protestants and the Catholic churches in Hong Kong. But the same way in China, I would say. I think we have to stop oh, within yeah. three, five, three to five minutes. Mm -hmm. Maybe one more question. Anyone? <laughs> I, okay. I have one more question. So I think you, um, mm. um, like I'm pretty glad you made a really good observation of the younger generation, which, mm. uh, and also you uh, suggest that like, uh, if you want to maintain this kind of spirit for the long-term fighting, the long-term um, like political uh, engaging 
like actually you cannot like do this without the young younger generation. I actually met Joshua Wong like a few weeks ago in UCLA, and I think he's um, really like he has a really like clear mindset of like everything happening. So like uh, within the office and also like in the future, how would you like to communicate and also maintain this uh, connection between the next generation, which could be like the major force of. Um, well, now it is about the uh, the structure and the organization of the democratic movement in the future. As I mentioned, that cannot be any central leadership. So it will be a kind of decentralized and networked kind of uh, structure. So the students they may continue to organize the students well, and some of the civil society groups they may do their own well, and some of the parents of the of the of the students they may also doing their own well. Actually, I met a, a group. Newly formed by the parents of the mm. of the students, um, they call the fathers and mothers under the umbrella. What they plan to do? They have a cooking class. They plan to do. So then they can reach the mothers, the 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 the, the, the mothers uh, to talk about democracy through cooking class, and that's the way of doing things. This will not be organized in a way that oh you must do this, you must do that. Someone sending directions at how the things do. It will be decentralized. The challenge in the future is how to coordinate. To coordinate is to maximize the kind of, uh, of, of, of the things we do. We will not be overlapping or what. So that's the, the thing we we have to coordinate. It's no longer one is linking with the other or what. Actually, everyone will be linking with each other, this kind of network relationship. Um, but we need to build up this kind of coordinating uh, framework. And, and I think at this point, no one has an idea yet on how to deal, how to do that alternative, uh, uh, this kind of uh, coordinate framework. We may have to wait after the uh, whole thing ends. And uh, China will have to consider its policy to Hong Kong, and also the democratic camp will also have to consider their, 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 their way to organize themselves. It will be quite, it will be totally different. Surely the students will play a key role, but um, I think the movement, we can attract so many people. Don't think it's just a student movement. During the occupation, we have conducted a survey of all the occupiers. Actually, the, the, we have, uh, the students actually only uh, come for 15 to 20 percent of the, those occupiers. So it's not really a student movement. Mm -hmm. That all the others, there we have uh, uh, <coughs> middle-aged people, a lot of middle-aged people and old people there. There's a lot of people from very different backgrounds. When you say 15%, you're not counting the umbrella people. You mean just the occupied people? Occupied, just the occupied. We just ask, just have a survey on all those who stay there in the camps, in the tents, okay? uh, 15 to 20%. Now, if you are count... Those, aren't those including the umbrella people? I think, I don't know what you mean by umbrella people. There's all those there. But if you count all the supporters of the movement, now then, surely it will not be just the students. That they may be a, they, a a main part of it. But uh, we have the uh, middle-aged people, all the all the all different people from different backgrounds joining. But if not, you cannot have that number of people um, um, joining and, and, and participating. And that's an estimation that around 1.2 million people participated in the in the occupying movement. In at varying degrees, some may be occupiers. They are occupied, but actually, uh, only around a few thousand people occupied. In the I think in November or in December, only around 
early December, only around 2,000 people left in, in Hamilton occupied. But there may be people come and go. So at the end, uh, uh, the, the survey uh, estimates that uh, 1.2 million, some may be occupied, some may be just donating money, some may be uh, donating food or water, and or some may just come for the uh, evening gathering, and so they may not occupy. So different degree of participation. And out of that 1.2 million, surely young people will be in part, but they must also have other, there must be also people from the other age groups, and they need to work together. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think the mothers and fathers will be also quite uh, uh, powerful in, uh, in, in, in changing the society. And uh, because some people that you cannot reach be, be reached by the students, only the mothers can reach the mothers. <laughs> and, the, and so we have to rely on the, this kind of uh, different groups in the community. And I think we, 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 we are able to do that, but we need the coordinating structure. How to do it, I have two things. Well, thank okay. you so much. Yeah.